Welcome to This Week in the Bear Cave. I am your host, Dennis Zero, and this week we are sponsored by Abode Real Estate, your professional real estate advisors in Colorado Springs and Teller County, the historic Butte Theater in Cripple Creek, Colorado, bringing you the best productions in the United States, and Peak Washing LLC, the pressure washing professionals for that dirty job. Well, another awesome week here in Teller County. I think that we're all waiting for that big snowstorm uh, coming again that was supposed to hit last week. But, uh, eh, nothing. Goose eggs, just more cold and windy temperatures. But that certainly didn't stop the Cripple Creek Ice Festival. But more of that coming up later because we have my producing partner, Michelle Roselle, coming back into the Bear Cave Hotline this week with story time. Thank God. Anything's better than trying to listen to me come up with something that's actually relevant. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to leave that whole story time up to the adults here in the Bear Cave. We have a good show lined up for you today. We have Michael Lindsay from the Gold Camp Association coming into the Bear Cave today, and we're going to talk about what that organization does for everyone, not only in Cripple Creek, but also in Teller County. Next week, we are starting a new monthly segment, as we said before, and that's the Oyate Herbal Health Talk with Tammy Lowe. And that's really exciting as Tammy is going to be coming in the first part of every month and she'll be talking about general health using more of a holistic approach and giving us some tips as we head into the spring, which is always a wonderful time for people. If you're like me and you have hay fever or other kind of minor ailments and uh, she'll be able to suggest some herbal supplements that may relieve some of those symptoms. But as always, we suggest that you also work with your physician. You know, that's a big part of what Tammy does as well. But don't forget, if you have any questions for Tammy, you can email them to us and we'll get those questions to her. And uh, all you have to do is just go to our email address, and that is thisweekinthebearcave at gmail.com. And uh, we'll give that email address to you again at the end of the show. So uh, any questions, just email them to us. We'll get them to Tammy and she can answer that for you. On March 14th, we have our friend Mark Gregory coming into the Bear Cave, and we'll be checking in with Mark and seeing how things are going at Maudie's Emporium in Cripple Creek. You may know by now that Mark has recently become the new owner of Maudie's, which is a very cool place in Cripple Creek, and if you haven't been there, you you should go check it out. I tried to go up there the second week of Ice Festival, and that place was slammed, and uh, you know that's a good thing to see. On March 21st, we have Woodland Park City Council member and military liaison Frank Connors coming into the Bear Cave. Always good to catch up with Frank. And he's going to give us some updates in relation to veterans issue in the Woodland Park area. And then on March 28th, it's our Bear Cave Roundtable discussion with Teller County Assessor Carol Kittleson and our title sponsor, Josh Dorsey. They are both going to be here in the Bear Cave and they're going to be discussing all types of real estate stuff, some property issues, taxes, and all kinds of things that may affect you, your property, um, not only here in Teller County, but uh, you know, maybe gives you an indicator of what's happening in Colorado. And I am staying away from STRs. Yeah, I'm going to put that subject right down there in the basement with the uh, school board. You know, more bottom-dwelling issues that we're all sick of talking about, frankly, and uh, at least for now. And before we get too deep into it, I just wanted to mention that uh, we got some information from one of our listeners, and it's kind of pertinent, and I'm kind of paraphrasing what happened here. There is apparently a possible construction scam that's going on in Woodland Park. 
And what that scam entails is people, you know, coming on your property, maybe they're looking around or nosing around, knocking on your door and asking you if you want any kind of construction work being done. I've heard everything from asphalt to to we can replace your roof, all these kinds of things going on. And uh, thanks to Richard for bringing that to our attention. We really appreciate it. But you need to stay on your toes with these scammers because a lot of times they're looking to see if uh, people are home and if they're not home. They kind of case the neighborhood, so it's a possible breaking and entering kind of scam that's going on. The other thing they have a tendency to do is they wait and see who's around and who's home during garbage pickup days. So there's a lot of scams going on. If somebody comes to your door and they say they're a contractor, ask them for their contractor's number. Ask them for their license. Be smart. Be savvy. But uh, don't give them to these people. And if you don't know them, don't let them into your house. So stay on your toes, Woodland Park, because there are people out there who are not afraid to cause you any kind of harm. And I speak from experience because I have been a victim of identity theft on more than one occasion, and it's not fun. So anyway, Richard, thanks again for mentioning that. We appreciate it. Anyway, there is no shortage of stuff that is happening in the world this week. And the first thing that caught my attention this week, which was a big story, was about Fox News and Rupert Murdoch. You probably have heard about this. So Murdoch, under oath, in a nutshell, said that he was eager to keep my pillow guy Mike Lindell's advertisements on the air because of how much revenue he provided to the network. And you probably know that by now the network is being sued in a multi-million dollar lawsuit. It's actually multi-billion, but it's being brought on by the Dominion Voting Systems. Remember Dominion Voting Systems? They are suing Fox for $1.6 billion in a defamation lawsuit, which alleges that the network pushed the conspiracy theory that their systems helped rig the 2020 election. And these are baseless conspiracy theories that are still being spread to this day about the widespread voter fraud. I mean, there's nobody that's been able to prove that outright. And I'm just one of those people that's always skeptical about either party or networks or any of that kind of stuff. But anyway, Crazy Mike is also being sued for $1.3 billion by Dominion. And still to this day, Crazy Mike has not stopped claiming that the election was stolen from the Donald. And of course, the Donald is jumping on the free press, right? And now he's hammering Fox News for coming out against him by admitting that they knew the conspiracy was just that, a conspiracy. Why? Because it's good for business. And Rupert knew this, and he allowed it to continue anyway. Well, Dominion claimed that Fox News sold a false story of election fraud in order to serve its own commercial purposes. Well, that's what networks do, and that they severely injured Dominion in the process. Now, we've been saying that this has been fake news all along since the day we came on the air here in the Bear Cave. News networks are nothing more than reality TV shows. That's what they are. There's a producer, there's a director, they speak into this little earpiece that's stuck in the news host's ear as they read from a teleprompter. And then these guys tell them exactly what their opinion is. It's all made up. Now, in any production, there are news writers and they take directions from executive producers on which way that narrative is going to go. They all do it. CNN, Fox, ABC, NBC, CBS, you name it, they all do it. So I'm going to say it again. Wake up, America, because this is the way it has been and this is the way it's always going to be. Network television news is nothing more than a reality show. And if you are one of those that's glued to the TV every day taking in all this nonsense, you are being hypnotized by actors reading a teleprompter. But now Fox, as we have been saying all along, promotes just as much fake news as the rest of the networks. 
And Rupert Murdoch, under oath, just pulled the curtain back to reveal the wizard. <laughs> but, uh, man, don't even get me started on the whole COVID thing either. That's, uh, that's still coming up in a couple of weeks. But the bottom line is that any kind of national news you see short of local news on TV, these days are all driven by the Benjamins. That's what it's about. And I just happened to know a little bit about how that stuff works, seeing how uh, that was the industry I worked in. Not necessarily news, but television for the past 30 years. But I guarantee you, because they do this all the time, they will change their narrative at a drop of a hat or a phone call from the owners of a network. And the whole time, they're also shoveling dollars into their back pockets that's provided to them by political parties as well. So that, uh, that tells you where that's going. And that's pretty obvious, right? So I wonder what the Donald is going to do now that the jig is up at Fox. And he's already flipped out of Fox News. He says, uh, they've been purposely terrible to me. Isn't there a big, beautiful network which wants to do well and make a fortune besides fake news? Well, that's hilarious. Seeing how the uh, Donald is all about fake news along with just about every politician at the national level. Anyway, Cubs, just do yourself a favor and quit listening to this garbage that's flying out of those pie holes on TV. You really don't need some millionaire actor on the tube giving you your opinion. So it's time to wake up, take control of your life for God's sake. Yeah, maybe you should listen to the Bear Cave more often than uh, some of these idiots, but uh, yeah, then again. But, uh, you know, y you look at people who listen to this day in and day out and their their brains are rotted by all this minutiae that's coming out of that box that they're looking at. So, Rupee, you can keep endorsing those conspiracy theories about rigged elections for only so long. Well, even Rupee has his limits, I guess. And uh, kind of like the uh, Russian conspiracy theory that was coming back from the Democrats where the Donald had colluded with them, right? Funny how that one just kind of disappeared. It's all two sides of the same coin, trust me. Yep, it's all about the Benjamins. Always has, always will be. Well, once again, fat bastard Steven Seagal has managed to crawl out of his hole and dust out that Navy jacket. Put on those spanks so he could squeeze into it. Then he reached for that Just For Men hair color kit to touch up that evil beard and hair so he could look his best as he swapped spit with Vlad the Impaler. On Monday, Vlad bestowed a state decoration on Fat Bastard, who was also a Russian citizen, and we've talked about that on a number of occasions. He was awarded the Order of Friendship, which was announced on the Russian government's internet portal. The order recognizes people who Russia considers to have contributed to the bettering of international relations, right? That's what Fat Bastard does. Remember, Fat Bastard was a vocal supporter of Russia's 2014 annexation of Crimea. Last year, he visited the Russian-held Ukrainian town of Olenivka, I think that's how it's pronounced, where dozens of Ukrainian prisoners of war were reportedly killed in an attack for which Russia and the Ukraine have basically blamed each other. Segal was named in 2018 as the Russian Foreign Ministry Humanitarian Envoy to the United States and Japan. And nobody cares. But here's where I'm going to throw out there. I have a question. When is Sniffy Joe and his administration going to arrest Fat Bastard for treason? I think sleeping with the enemy counts, don't you? Well, maybe if he comes back to the United States to film another season of uh, that Fat Bastard lawman in Louisiana... Yeah, they can animal tranquilize him and put him back in his habitat with the other hippos at the zoo. The only camera time that he gets is when he's bowing and genuflecting at Vlad the Impaler's feet. Well, it's just time to go away there, fat bastard. Nobody likes you but Vlad the Impaler these days. And, uh, oh my God, the guy's such an asshat. Okay, enough of this crap. I feel my blood pressure going up. Coming up in our next segment, it's our guest from the Gold Camp Association, Michael Lindsay. So stick around. 
You know, moving can be stressful. I know. I've moved 13 times in 20 years and I've lived in four different states. When it finally came time to move back to Colorado, Woodland Park and Teller County were our target locations. But before I moved back home, I was looking for a real estate broker who understood and had experience with military families and knew the area well. I found Abode Real Estate and Joshua Dorsey. I called Josh right away and it only took 35 days to not only find our forever home, but to close and move into it. Josh understood exactly what we were looking for because he's a common sense person and knows a good deal from a bad one. He'll make every effort to make sure you get the home that you absolutely want and love. As your real estate advisor, Josh will focus on client satisfaction. His business is about service and he's not happy until you're happy. Whether it's finding you a home, finding the best loan, or helping you get the most out of selling your home, Josh is there to guide you. So if you're considering a real estate professional, give Josh a call today at 719-433-4773 or email him at joshua at csabode.com. That's J-O-S-H-U-A at csabode.com. I'm confident that you will be completely satisfied. My guest this week is president of the Gold Camp Association, Michael Lindsay. Mike, thanks for coming into the Bear Cave. Happy to be here. And you had a long drive coming down here. Well, I, uh, I've become a master at combining travel. So I finished a large Gold Camp Association meeting. And I'm on my way home. So I was able to combine things. Oh, that's good. Because I thought you were going the opposite direction on your way back up. It's like, eh, I got to make this quick and get this guy out of here. I'm, I'm going back to Denver, but I'm, I'll be okay. Uh, um, COVID was an interesting experience. It drove me to the flatlands for a minute. I'm beginning to get, recover. So I'm looking to come back to the high country because fourth generation Colorado, lived in the high country, worked my way through college, hard rock mining over in Leadville. Love the high country. Oh, man. So, yeah, you are a Colorado native through and through. Yeah, so kind of give me your background. I know you're a vet. We had a, a nice conversation a, a few weeks ago, but uh, kind of give an idea to our listeners who you are, what you've done, and, and that kind of thing. Well, I, I got to tell you, I've had a, an interesting life. I'm not going to say it hasn't been interesting because it has. Um, I'm actually an ordained faith leader at an African-American church. That's a story in and of itself. Worked for Miami PD, Jeff Coast Sheriff's and Department of Corrections as a non-foreign specialist in the area of violence and management of threats and uh, set up the Threats Management Unit for Miami PD, Serious and Violent Offenders. Uh, initiative for Department of Corrections, anti-stalking program for Jeffco. Was a therapist treating violent men for 15 years. Community organizer, and uh, I retired about uh, 14 years ago. If you're a community organizer, that makes you eligible to run for president of the United States. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. Well, I'm a I'm a conservative community organizer. I believe in capitalism as a moving force. I do believe that. Uh, Efficient government's necessary, but government's kind of um, a partner and shouldn't be leading the charge. Uh, we should be operating from community-led processes, such as the Gold Camp Association. Uh, it's our community. We need to take responsibility for it and not simply stick out our hand and say, government, take care of all of us. It's uh, can't do that. 
Yeah, the never-ending COVID story. That's exactly what happened. Yes, we it just, is. Uh, it, yeah. Remember the old government cheese program back in the, uh, was it the 80s, 70s, and 80s? Remember, well, I was working in a steel mill, and we'd get shut down, and I'd end up on uh, commodities, and I'd get that cheese. I have to admit that that was the true thing, but lived in a poor community and was the bottom end of the steel mill, and I got laid off a lot. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a rough life. It was. It was a rough life. That's why I decided to go to college. So what led you up to uh, Cripple Creek eventually? Well, I was traveling all throughout the world, literally. Lived in Italy, lived in Panama, traveled to a total of 17 countries, and been traveling for a long time. And, and the truth of that matter was uh, I'd been pistol whipped doing my ministry in Denver. Oh, wow. And uh, so the short version of that is uh, I was in a process of having a relationship with God and saying, God, you got a problem with your creation down here. And <laughs> so Scott and I were trying to resolve that. And I wandered around and I found Cripple Creek, which my family had come through in the early 1900s and uh, liked it, liked the people I met, found a nice place to live. It's a good community. I, so I ended up there. That's how I ended up in Cripple Creek. But then COVID hit and you had some health issues, right? And kind of forced you back down the mountain. Yeah, COVID, people can make fun of COVID all they want. But uh, if you're a man of my age, you should not fool around with You get it, you could end up being quite ill. And I was. I tried to live for up there for a while afterwards, but I finally had to go down and get myself back to my health. Coming back, I'm happy. I'm able to come up. I'm looking forward to this summer a lot, I can tell you. COVID was no joke. I mean, I, I make fun of it a little bit because it went overboard. And, uh, yeah, we took it to, uh, you know, new heights of stupidity. And we, we should not have been shutting down our schools and we should not have no. been forcing young people to take the vaccine. And when you're at risk, you should take precautions. But that's how it, more like how Florida managed it and how Sweden managed it would have been logical. Yeah, I mean, that's that's exactly what happened. And uh, reports just came out a couple of days ago that uh, and how the Department of Energy got tied on to this. I have no idea, but they they were the ones that came out with a report that said, Oh, we think it all happened in Wuhan. Well, duh, no kidding. Somehow they have a responsibility for managing uh, those kind of laboratories. I'm not quite sure how that works, but that's there's a connection there somehow. Yeah, Fauci must have ran out of money because he couldn't pay him off. So I, I, I'm just saying. Yeah, I hear you. I'm with you. Well, anyway, let's uh, let's get back to the whole Gold Camp Association. Obviously, there was a need for the Gold Camp Association, but take me back in, into the, I guess, the genesis of all this this stuff. Well, you know, I moved into Cripple Creek before I walked around downtown. Not not the smartest thing to do, as it turned out. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'd been up there about six months, and nice day, uh, I decided to go for a walk. So I went down and walked the entire main street of Cripple Creek from one end to the other. Then I did it again, <laughs> second time, and I said, oh boy, 47% by my count, not counting the hotels and the casinos, but 47% of all the other buildings were either condemned, used for storage, or abandoned in some fashion. It is still, if you walk along the downtown, you'll see lots of empty buildings. Absolutely. So then my next step was I started talking to the business owners. I said, what the heck is going on here? This is not good. And they were not happy. And they said uh, city government at that time was not responsive. And uh, they didn't believe the city government at that time was going to be responsive. And I said, well, what's the plan? I mean, you got to have a plan to fix this. You can't let this keep going. No plan. No plan. So I meandered into the city council meeting one night, stood up and said, y'all got a problem and you need to put together a citizen advisory group to fix this problem. You need a plan and you need a community to buy in. You need community support and we've got to fix this. And good for them. They said, yeah. And people stood up in the audience, literally uh, stood up and said, I'm, I'm in. 
And we instantaneously set up a citizens committee. Now, unfortunately, that committee sort of died in process because COVID came running along and rights, you know, we were a fledgling group, didn't survive it. And but I wasn't ready to give up. So I was putting together another group to have a different function, which was the Gold Camp Association. And the Gold Camp Association's function is to run events and to run events with the singular purpose of being able to make sure the stakeholders in Cripple Creek are at the head of the line, that they have the power to run the events, benefit from the events, but they also have the responsibility to make the events happen. Uh, there was no city money. If you looked at the, the city budget, Cripple Creek's income for 10 years has been in steady, steady decline. You can ask, ask the city for the graph. Well, when Mark Green was on the show, I did some homework as well and saw what the numbers looked like. And there was a 10-year period where completely a steady decline the entire time. Correct. And then when COVID hit, it went over a cliff. And that steady decline became a vertical collapse. And the city was now in huge trouble. So a bunch of the core not-for-profits got together with that said, we will keep this going. So we had two weeks in the summer during the, uh, the Aspen Leaf Tour time. That's all we had for the first summer. It was hugely successful. It helped stabilize the Two Mile Hug Club, which is responsible for caring for the donkeys. It stabilized the American Legion a little bit to stabilize Taylor Rifles. It helped the other not-for-profits. It helped the businesses. We did that without a penny from the city, no grant money. We all threw us some money out of our own pocket in the pile, and we have for a couple of years now throwing money in to make this happen. Now, during this time, sorry to interrupt, but during this time, the casinos are virtually shut down as well, right? That's correct. Everything, and, and they're suffering. You know, they're trying to find a way to keep their staff paid. It wasn't like we could go to them and say, hey, give us a whole bunch of money. Right. And they're great partners. Okay. They help all the time with all kinds of things. They give us ice. They've helped us with food. You know, they, they support the donkeys. I mean, they're great partners, but they didn't have the money. They're in trouble. And so we got through that first summer, well, fall technically, and then we began to organize. We had the next two years. We've had two successful years. We're getting stronger. We've, it's been a steep learning curve to learn how to be promoters. Okay. Yeah. And with no money. So we're coming up on our third year. We have big plans um, and we're going to strengthen each event. The not-for-profit community is now financially stable. It's not stable for the foreseeable like 10 years. But there's income, there's a revenue stream. We're able to support our veterans. We're able to support the donkey herd. We're able to put on community events. And we're going to keep pushing this so that we're eventually financially viable on our own without government support. When you haven't done a, a fundraiser or an event or something like that, you just got to kind of figure it out. It's a lot of trial and error that's going on. And the fact that you guys were able to pull it off and not quit is a testament to your organization. Well, Cripple Creek ha is rich, rich in human capital. This is not a popular statement among some people in Cripple Creek, but Cripple Creek is a poor community. It's a very poor community. Sixty some percent of the the children are on supported lunch the last time I checked. And fortunately, we have some people who have gone out and got one of the, I think it's a RISE grant, I think it's what it's called, to begin to begin to improve the education in our community and provide some opportunity for people. Uh, the not-for-profit community continues to push forward and keep our history and our events running. Change is hard. And as change was 
forced upon people. There, there were those that suffered and didn't like it and reacted and probably will continue to do so, but that's okay. You know, when they want to work with us, they're welcome to come in and work with us if they want or to do their own thing if that's what they want. Kind of goes along with small town politics because uh, as a kid, and, and our listeners know this, I grew up between, you know, Durango and Salt Lake City. I heard about all this kind of stuff as a young man and teenager. And it's like, yeah, you, you don't pay any mind because you got other things on your mind like baseball and, and, and whatever. But uh, when I moved to Teller County, all these memories came full circle. <laughs> Yes. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this is what my brother-in-law was talking about when he was running the Holiday Inn in Durango. And, uh, yeah, I got married in Silverton, so I'm, I'm from the kind of the southwest area right. of the state. And uh, I look at towns like Cripple Creek and Victor. I mean, they are, by definition, virtual ghost towns. Yes. And thank God there's some people who actually believe in their communities that will stick it out and come up with Gold Camp Association, come up with the Two Mile High Club. Otherwise, you know, you're going to sink into mediocrity and you will no longer exist. And uh, Cripple Creek really has an opportunity in the next few years to, you know, turn that all around, maybe not to the point where it was in the early 1900s where, you know, I don't want to see 65,000 people up there either, but they really have a chance to make things good and bring it up that standard again, like, like people are used to. Well, and I, and I think uh, if you look at what the hotels and the casinos are doing, they appear to have made the decision to stick it and to expand especially Bronco Billy's, which has got a major development going on. Boy, in a big way. So our community has an obligation to reciprocate by how do we help them stay full? How, how do we keep those rooms full? It doesn't necessarily mean that we, we only think that people should be sitting at slot machines. Uh, if you go to Las Vegas, that's not the model. The model is people come there, they do gamble, but they do a wide range of activities. Uh, Teller County has a wealth of interesting things to do. You can do a number of day trips out of Cripple Creek. You can go to the fossil, uh, call it the fossil beds, that's wrong, the petrified forest over to Florissant. You can take a long day trip over to the sand dunes. You, you can go uh, rafting down the Arkansas. You can go down Phantom Canyon and Shelf Road to Canyon City. You can go down Gold Camp Road and all the way down towards the Broadmoor Hotel. One of the things we'd like to do is work with the Woodland Park area of Teller County. We have this idea of a thing called the, the Teller County or the Gold Camp area loops so that we convince people, we begin to, to educate people. You can go down to Canyon City, come up Phantom Road, come down through Ripple Creek, spend some time, come down through Woodland Park or do it in reverse. You can have a whole day's adventure or stay over in one of our areas, make it a multi-day adventure. There's no reason why we can't actually have a lot of people come in here to do a lot of things. And we can see our downtowns flourish. Woodland Park could flourish a little bit more because you get traffic coming through, buying gas, buying food, maybe spending a day here. We have some ideas about how to market all of that. We'd, I'd really like to reach out through this podcast and say, I'll make sure I have my contact information is left and let's work together. You know, that's interesting that you say that because Silverton did the same thing when they opened up the, uh, they opened up all the trails to the off-road community. Okay. And a lot of people kind of fought that because they didn't want that change. You know, I, I was one of those people that was skeptical too. And I said, uh, yeah, I don't want a bunch of off-road vehicles coming down here. Mostly side-by-sides, Polaris's and that kind of thing too. But they were really smart about it because they, they build a route that was around the local businesses. So everybody's kind of coexisting together. I got to kind of back up here. You're the one of the first people that said something positive about the hotels and the casinos. I've heard a lot of negativity up in Cripple Creek. It's like, we don't want it here. You know, it's like, ah, oh, this is, this is going to fail. Just about everybody I've talked to is hoping that it's going to fail. And in my view, I'm hoping that it's going to succeed because if it fails, what are you going to do with a nine story 
gigantic empty casino other than Dennis's ideas like, oh, cool, the parking lot. I'm going to turn it into a skateboard park. You know what I mean? Remember my comment about change is hard. Yeah. Okay. I grew up in this state as a kid where I had tremendous freedom and I could go back with my family into places and camp for seven days and never see another human being, literally. Yeah, exactly. Where we'd go deer hunting and, you know, we'd be taking out six big four point, five point, six point bucks. And there just weren't a lot of people. We had a lot of freedom. And I look at the state now and I don't like some of the things I see for sure. But if Cripple Creek, if all that failed, who's going to pay for the fire department? We got a world-class fire department up there for a small town. Right. Who's going to pay for the police? Who's going to pay for the water treatment facility? I mean, this stuff is, it, it costs money. So that's a good point with infrastructure because uh, the more people that are coming in, and we know that Gibraltar is making some moves now, they're going to try to build some housing and stuff like that up there. You've got to update all that infrastructure that's yes. been sitting around. So water treatment is, is one example. That That's going to take a tremendous amount of money. Then you've got, uh, of course, roads and sewers and all this other kind of stuff. But uh, the other thing that I want to say too is that you know, there's so many hidden jewels. And if you capitalize on that, like you were talking about making a loop, if you've ever been down shelf road or any of these canyons, it is amazing. Yes. The terrain that's down there. And I mean, there's big horn sheep. There's all kinds of, it's very Colorado-esque, I guess, you know, in a sense. And if you capitalize on that, yeah, you're going to bring people into that town. You're going to have, uh, yeah, I don't know, maybe it's a company that gets started that takes tours or who, who knows? I think it's a great idea though. Yeah. And, and one of our ideas is, is to, and I'm, I'm saying our ideas, Gold Camp Association, because I can't say that the casinos have said, yay, go fight team on this. You know, I hope they buy into this idea. Right. Make it a destination place where why can't, okay, this people sometimes accuse me of being, uh, having too big a vision. Why can't we develop such a quality that people flying from Japan, Germany, Italy. Why can't people go, oh, man, I want to go see this area. This is fascinating. We got, they got all this geography. They've got all this history. They've got these dadgum donkeys that wander through town and they're loose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, we've got world-class fireworks. Why can't we create such, a, such an environment that it attracts people from everywhere? So the vision that we are putting out is uh, we have a great community. We need to build it. It's suffered for 10 years. We are in the process of change. Change is hard, as we have recently seen with the old city council situation. But that's politics, and that's okay. GCA is not political. We didn't choose a side in that whole battle. But let's not just build a vision for Cripple Creek or Victor. We, we're separated by a pass, okay? <laughs> so yeah, I guess yeah. there's there's that north-south sort of problem. But you know what? We're, we're in this together. If we can bring people up from our end and get them to loop around, or you can bring them up from your end and get them to loop around, we need to help each other. We need to really promote each other and help each other, you know? And um, I, I think that's one reason I got excited about the idea of being able to have this podcast to hey, say, hey, we're out here. We want to work with you. Give us a call. I think you're right on the money because uh, Taylor County, we're an island. I mean, we're literally an island in a sea of blue. I don't care which side of the aisle you're from. I'm, I'm kind of in the middle. You know, I'm a, I'm a happy-go-lucky fence sitter. And uh, I'm, I'm pretty happy right there because I don't like seeing what's going on in either side or either party. But uh, you brought up uh, the recent city council dynamics that are occurring there. And, and we, we made fun of it a lot. I mean, we're a satirical kind of show. Sure. But the logic didn't make any sense to me whatsoever. I mean, none. And uh, I can only think that it goes back several years into some petty things that were happening in the past that, you know, kind of came around and manifest themselves again. But- I'm with you. It, it doesn't matter. 
you know, whoever's in place now, let's work together and make things happen and uh, get out of this, uh, this hole for the last 10 years and start making some money. Cause that's, that's an awesome town. It's got so much potential. It, it does. And um, history, geography, uh, location, you can, and I know some of those day trips I mentioned are lengthy. But there's a lot you can see along the way on those day trips. Okay. Oh yeah. And you can actually get over to Leadville on a day trip and, and do some of, some of that process. Just get to see South Park, which to me is one of the most phenomenal things to see. That's an awesome place. There's a kid we drive through there five times a year. Yeah. I've done a lot of filming in South Park and uh, I, I can tell you, it's just uh, it's, it's beautiful. It is. It is. We need to think of ourselves as a gateway to places. Okay. You can come, you can stop here, spend some time, go on to the next place, uh, stay a while and do some day trips, uh, enjoy the casinos for some adult entertainment, um, eat some food, do some outdoor stuff. Got some pretty serious mountain biking. Uh, had had a couple from Boulder, gave it a shot the other day. Uh, I guess it was more than the other day now, back in the fall and that uh, kind of kicked their butt. They said, that was really hard. I said, yep. <laughs> so I'll be the guy driving the chase Jeep. <laughs> you know, we get bikers that come up shelf road and they go up and down and they're pretty stout human beings. And there's wow. no reason, you know, so part of my funny life is, uh, wonder if we could create a competition with Leadville to see who could create the most hardcore group of uh, extreme sports. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Just, just make one announcement at REI and you're going to have like a thousand people show up. You know, that's a great idea. That's two great ideas you've given me already. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're up there with the uh, flagship store up there in, uh, in Denver. Yeah. Yeah. I can cruise by there. They're, they're easy to reach. Yeah, they're good people up there. I, I've been a member all, most of my life with that uh, organization or that store. I, I'm not going to announce what we're planning for the fall. And I'll come back and do this announcement when we get it more wired tight. But on a serious note, one of the things we talked about today was our country's losing an understanding of the debt that they owe veterans. And so we have created a memorial to the fallen from uh, El Paso and Teller counties at our, our cemetery. And it's a pretty good memorial, to tell you the truth. It's, it's pretty powerful. So we have a World War I memorial in Goldfield. We have a World War II memorial in Victor. We have a Vietnam veteran memorial. And we have the more memorial to the fallen in the War on Terror. We're now going to try to raise money to create a, a Korean War memorial and a memorial to the Cold War warriors. Millions, literally millions of veterans who stood stood in the fold of the gap. A lot of people don't even know what that is. You and I fall into that category. Well, you and I cover some territory, don't we? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. So just, just a little bit. Just a little bit. So they flew around in, in B-52 bombers on patrol. They were on patrol in submarines. So they, they sat in, nu in nuclear silos hoping they never had to push the button. The Cold War warriors are not recognized as much as they should be. The Korean War veterans are not recognized as much as they should. So one of our visions is, is to complete this circle of memorials. And we intend to have a weekend where we honor veterans and their families because families have been forgotten. And um, got some interesting ideas about how to make it at both a commemoration and a celebration because these, these men and women fought, suffered, stood the watch so that we could actually celebrate, go to barbecues, go to football games, cast our votes in elections, even though we are at each other's throat on that, which is unfortunate. So we think that we really want to work with the Greater Teller Park to really say we are going to stand in remembrance and celebration. And I'll be back in about two months with a final plan for that. I'm with you. I mean, because Teller County is so veteran heavy, I think it was what, almost 22% of the population is uh, either retired or at least veterans. 
I think it's the heaviest population outside of El Paso County. And we know why El Paso County is so high. Right, right. But it's a huge veteran population up here. And I'm, I'm a combat veteran and it took me decades to settle in in a reasonable way. And it just never quite, never 100% leaves you. And if you've served and you've, you've thrown your name in the hat and you've had comradeship and you've stood with purpose and meaning in your life, regardless of what that fickle finger sent you to do, we all threw our name in the hat and we all took our chances. And um, in some ways it separates you from the rest of society because you've had these experiences that a large portion of the population has not had. And a lot of veterans end up being isolated and alone. And we really, really, one of the things we want to do is really, really, when I've said really a bunch of times, I almost say it again, really find a way to reach out to all the veterans and their families and let them know that they are not alone. We're all in this together. And we have a place for you at our table. So that's such an important message because uh, we also have uh, Frank Connors, who is a uh, city council member here in Woodland Park, and he is the veterans liaison. And uh, I've only been up here for about three years, and at least this part of the the uh, state. And I thought, what a great idea that city councils have a veterans liaison that deals yes. with those kinds of things. Because we are such a heavily populated veteran community. If you have liaisons in these little towns, it's good to have a point of contact you can go to with any kind of issues and get that kind of information. That's what we're trying to do here on the show, too, is we have Frank on every now and then and and people like yourself, you know, to come in and and get that word out there and let veterans know that you're not alone. You are not alone. There's a there's a bunch of us here that understand exactly what you're going through. And I think that's such an important message. Purpose and meaning. Um, we really, really believe in our community and we really believe that we all have to work together, including the Woodland Park area of Teller County. It may sound corny these days, but you know, it really kind of makes me feel good that there's people out there that, that care. When you take the history of the donkeys and the Victorian society and then the richness of the American Legion and then a new organization like Teller Rifles, which puts on um, active shooter training and it puts on stop the bleed training and it puts on uh, concealed carry permit training and it it works to improve community safety and all of those entities are working together cooperatively you develop community muscle that you can really begin and to pull in and you can go to funders you can go to the people who have money and instead of going six times or eight times and and everybody and every time they turn around you put together a coalition and you trust each other and you share you share the resources and you share the burden go to a funder one time and you say, okay, here's what the picture for the whole summer looks like. Here's what the whole community needs from our little association looks like. And it's a, it's a powerful way to begin to approach um, the problems of funding, volunteerism, maintaining your community. And you, you, you can really get a lot done. Yeah. You don't find that in big cities. You know, you, you just don't. So uh, I think that's another reason why I came back to Colorado too, is I was kind of longing for a place to have community, you know, yes. and, and, and be a little, I don't care if everybody knows each other. That's, that's fine. I mean, that just means that you can take care of each other that right. much better, right. you know, but you just don't find the stuff in, in big cities at all. At least I, at least I haven't. Well, you look, look at Los Angeles, look at Seattle. You undoubtedly have people there working. I mean, they're, I'm a thousand percent certain people are trying. But you get overwhelmed by the size of the problem. Now, well, you're just another ant in the farm in that place. It's, it really is insane. People up here, I hope, begin to really understand all of those problems down there won't stay down there. They are coming here. Oh, without question. In fact, they're already here. Drugs, for instance. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 
um, violence will ultimately follow. And the other thing is, if we don't work together, all the population along the front range, which I have major issues with because of their disrespect for rural Colorado, major disrespect for rural Colorado. The gerrymandering that occurred is, that's a fact. It, it happened and Teller County got caught up in it. Really? Well, we have a representative that lives in Broomfield. Really? How's that possible? Exactly. My plate's a little full, but I might add something to my plate here. Yes. Um, I stoked that fire. Yeah, amen, brother. I mean, it's um, rural Colorado in general needs to start. And when we talk about a small collection like Gold Camp Association, which is taking care of a community, ultimately need to reach out to all of rural Colorado and say, we're in this together. How do we, how do we help each other? How I do agree. We, how do we begin to, they're taking the resources from here and funneling them into every little pet project they have on the front range. Okay, and if we collectively begin to communicate in a, in a in a wise and political and reasonable way, and say that's enough of that, you know, and begin to make our case in the media and use some of their language against them, like you're you're up for equity. How about equity for our children in rural Colorado? That now there would be some equity, you know. How about equity for uh, support for our businesses? And how about equity in taxation and and uh, all kinds of issues. Yeah, I hear you. Well, Michael, I mean, I, I, I could sit here and talk to you all day long, but we only have so much time. And uh, I want to invite you back to uh, tell us what's going on. I know there's a lot of stuff in the works right now. And uh, yeah, we don't want to give everything away, but I'd like you to come back at some point and uh, just kind of keep us up to speed on what Gold Camp Association is doing. And I will come back and specifically talk about the veterans things that we're doing. Let me let me give out my email address. Please do. Gold Camp Fourth, Fourth spelled out F O U R T H, at gmail.com. That's Gold Camp Fourth at gmail.com. If you want to partner, if you want to talk, if you want to talk about how we can work together to make Teller County really a stronger place, everybody over in Cripple Creek's real anxious to try to help each other out, including everybody here in Woodland Park. Well, you can count on the barricade for getting that word out for sure. Thank you. All right, Michael Lindsay, thanks for joining us today. You're welcome. When we come back, it's story time with Michelle, followed by the big news with our field producer, Trevor Phipps. So don't go away. Are you tired of gambling? Or maybe gambling just isn't your thing then you need to come visit the historic Butte Theater, located in the heart of Cripple Creek, Colorado. Enjoy our classic melodramas, Shakespeare of the West, musicals, comedies, and our community's favorite Christmas show. The Butte is fun for the whole family, so get your tickets today at thebuttetheater.com and come join in our fun. Welcome back to the Bear Cave, and right now it is story time with Michelle on the Bear Cave Hotline. Hey, Michelle, how's it going? Good, good. Recouping from Ice Fest. Yeah, I bet you are. Hey, you know, I, I got this. Uh, I got this beef here. It's like, okay, we say story time with Michelle. You get, uh, you know, like rosy, nice little music with angel wings <laughs> fluttering. <laughs> and last week when I sat in for you, I got a foghorn. I mean, come on. 
What the hell? <laughs> Might want to talk to the producer about that. Yeah. Whoever's doing those special effects are mean people, but uh, yeah, Ice Festival, what an amazing event that was. It really, really was. I mean, you know, everybody I've talked to had absolutely record-breaking weekends, and I thought the sculptures were amazing, and the number of sculptures, it was like, wow, it was exponential. It was, it was fabulous. Yeah. I made it a point to be there on opening day and then the closing weekend. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the guy that we were talking to Stan, uh, from what he started with the bighorn sheep and the Colorado state animals kind of thing until what he ended up with the following Saturday was nothing short of amazing. I'm, and I'm not putting down any of the other artists because it was just an amazing display. But to me, that was an exceptional display. And, uh, then I watched kind of the uh, speed carving stuff. Yeah. And, uh, and he did a donkey with like four or five dice balanced on its nose and he did it all in an hour. And it was just That's like, insane. it was amazing. That's insane. Yeah. Everybody that I talked to, you know, coming into the ice fest store and everything, they were all pretty much in really good moods. You know, you, you always have that one sour Sally that has, you know, well, I wish it had this, but it was so few and far between. Everybody was having a good time. The weather was spectacular. You was couldn't amazing. complain. You know, I mean, unfortunately kind of the ice itself got a little bit too warm, but still it was, it was spectacular. Yeah. I think that was the second weekend when uh, some of the carvers were getting ready to leave on Sunday and they just left it all kind of open. This was like, yeah, screw it. I'm on a plane at four o'clock in the morning later. I don't care. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, they knew that the sculptures were coming down on that Monday due to liability issues. The city went ahead and mowed them down because you just oh. can't trust people to stay safe. I would, I would save some of that ice and made sure I had a special cocktail, you know, ice festival right? drinks or something. I don't, I don't know. But. So the, the ending show, it's funny because one of the groups that, one of the carving groups that comes back every year, they actually make beer mugs out of ice and they're amazing. Wow. <laughs> Oh. Hmm. I'll post some. <laughs> Next year we can make some bear cave mugs or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But you can tell they have a good time too. They enjoy it. Yeah, uh, cool. All the vendors were constantly busy. So um, as far as, you know, bringing money and folks up in the Cripple Creek, you couldn't ask for better. Yeah. You know, as I was kind of walking down the vendor alley, so to speak, and seeing all the food and, and I'm, I'm looking at these turkey legs that were sitting out there. <laughs> right. I'm like, that's not a turkey leg. That's an ostrich leg. That thing was in, or a dinosaur leg or something. That thing was enormous. <laughs> it was. It uh, was. I'm you can like, see people walking around all over the place, holding on to <laughs> with a big smile on their face, you know? <laughs> munching on a, on a concealed weapon when you get done eating it, you know? It's like this gigantic leg. But uh, yeah, I just got to say congratulations to everybody. Congratulations to you and your team because uh, you guys did a fantastic job, even when the power went out on some occasions, I think. Yeah, but, uh, we had some definite challenges and you know the marketing team was running around like chickens with their heads cut off because we hadn't had you know a big event in a couple years yeah. especially the ice fest has been gone last one was 2020 and then we have new staff and everything and i have to say she did a, an amazing job and um like i said everybody sounds like they left happy and we couldn't have asked for better well i sure did kind of felt like being in miniature la for the brownout that you had but uh you know <laughs> Uh, other than that, it was pretty cool. It was. It was. <laughs> Electricity uh, was definitely a challenge. <laughs> well, 
Apparently it was, but uh, anyway, <laughs> it all turned out well. But moving along, what do we have for story time this week? Well, so we discussed that March is actually um, Women's History Month. And I know we did this a year ago because I've been there for a year now yeah. on the show. Yes, you awesome. have. But this time I want to really focus on Colorado women who made a mark here in, in our state. So we'll stay close to home. Right on. Let's do it. All right. So I'm going to talk about Clara Brown. And Clara Brown was a former enslaved woman from Virginia and Kentucky who became a community leader, philanthropist, and aided settlements of former slaves during the time of Colorado's gold rush. She was known as the Angel of the Rockies and made her mark as Colorado's first black settler and a prosperous entrepreneur. Clara Brown was born into slavery near Independence, Missouri on January 1st, 1800. At a young age, Clara and her mother were sold to Adam Smith, a Virginia tobacco farmer, and worked in the fields. She was then moved with the Smith family to Kentucky. She married another enslaved person, Richard, when she was 18 and together they had four children. In 1835, Brown's family was broken apart when they were all sold to different slave owners. When Brown was 56, she received her freedom, but was required to leave the state by law. She worked a ways west as a cook and in laundress to Denver, Colorado. So thinking about these dates, you're talking about this is still Civil War times. Right. You know, so um, Brown was hired as a maid and a cook by a family heading westward. From there, Brown was hired by a Colonel Benjamin Wadsworth in April 1859 to work on a wagon train as a cook for 26 men. It was a hot, difficult eight week journey to Oof. Denver, Colorado. <laughs> and Brown is believed to be the first African woman in Colorado's gold rush. Oh, Pretty kidding. impressive. Yeah, yeah. So she settled in the mining town now called Central City. We all know where that is, where she worked as a laundress, cook, and a midwife. She is noted with opening the first laundry in the state. Whoa. Hmm. And she is a former slave and worked her way across the states to get here. So that was kind of cool. Uh, with the money she made, she invested in properties and mines in nearby towns. She eventually owned seven houses in Central City. 16 lots in Denver, plus mines and properties in Georgetown, Boulder, and Idaho Springs. Wow, she did okay. She did more than okay. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so known as Aunt Clara for her emotional and financial support, Brown was a founding member of the Union Sunday School and made her home available for prayer services and generously supported the community. So letters were sent to locate her family with the aid of friends who could write. Brown heard that her husband Richard and her daughter Margaret had both died and her son Richard was lost, but she vowed to find her daughter Eliza Jane. At the end of the Civil War, she liquidated her holdings to travel back to Gallatin, Kentucky. She didn't find Eliza Jane, but she helped 16 relatives and others who were former slaves travel to Colorado by train and wagon and help them find work once they were settled. Brown also went to Kansas in 1879 to help former slaves build a community and farm land. At 80 years of age, Brown's funds were depleted through charitable contributions. Wow. So she made all this money and put it back into these other different communities, which is like really cool, you know, and, and moving former slaves across the country to start a new life, especially during the Reconstruction time. That's a pretty big deal. It is. And when you talk about the first of the story, when you're talking about the struggles that she went through, it just struck me. It's like, you know, the inhumanity of it all and, and mm -hmm. slavery in general. And we're selling human beings. Um, oh, yeah. It, it's just the uh, it boggles the mind. And then having someone raise, you know, like a phoenix out of the ashes. You know, that's a dramatic way of saying it. But that's really what she did. But true. Yeah. And then just no, gave away absolutely. all her money. 
Yeah. And, you know, here she was, this woman whose family was taken away from her. And she's like, all right, I got to figure out how how to get myself out of this situation. And apparently the slave owner that owned her passed away and actually gave her walking papers to be free. But again, she had to leave the state. And she did that, you know, in her 50s, not knowing what the heck she was going to do. That's amazing. Yeah. So after years of writing writing letters, Brown heard that her daughter lived in Council Bluffs, Iowa and traveled there at 82 years of age to meet her. Brown returned to Denver with her granddaughter after a lengthy visit and was later visited by her daughter, Eliza Jane, until Brown's death. Clara Brown died in Denver on October 23, 1885 and was buried in Denver's Riverside Cemetery. Colorado State dignitaries were in attendance at her funeral and the Central City Opera House dedicated a permanent memorial chair in her name and she was memorialized with a stained glass window at the Colorado State Capitol. Brown was inducted into the Colorado Women's Hall of Fame in 1989. And there you have it. An amazing story. Yes, yes. And total Colorado roots, you know. (laughs) Can you imagine someone going through that type of uh, trauma and life circumstances today? It wouldn't. No. No, me neither. I mean. No. This is what made America. Absolutely. Absolutely. And here she was, this black woman who worked her way through. And actually, she ended up losing all her money. Basically, she died um, penniless. But she put all that into contributions of making um, other former slaves be successful. And so that's huge. Clara Brown. Good for you. Yep. Yep. So look her up. Look her up. I mean, there's a lot more to her story. I mean, that's obviously just the highlights, but read into it. She was pretty amazing. Yeah. See, damn you. There you go again. My story time last week was like, uh, I don't know, something lame. (laughs) I I don't remember it was so bad. God, I'm glad you're back to save me from myself. (laughs) <laughs> I was glad to be back. <laughs> yeah. Well, now that the uh, the honeymoon's kind of over, so to speak, in Cripple Creek, uh, we're back to business as usual, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we are. We're still kind of off season. It's still kind of quiet time in most places. But uh, spring break is, believe it or not, we get pretty busy up there. We get Texas, Kansas, Oklahoma, who goes on spring break. So we'll be seeing those folks coming up about mid-March. Right now, the Butte Theater has the uh, Missoula Children's Theater doing the Frog Prince on March 3rd. There's a one o'clock show and a five o'clock show. And Heritage Center is open seven days a week. The Jail Museum, Outlaws and Lawman Jail Museum open seven days a week. So we're still hanging out there. So come up and see us. There's still things to do. Yeah, there's still stuff happening. And uh, in between snowstorms, if we actually get one. I know. If you want to see <laughs> snow right now, you need to go to L.A. So, right? Yeah. <laughs> And South Carolina, I guess, right? Apparently. (laughs) Any place but Teller County. So I don't know. In a way, I'm I'm kind of okay with that too, though. But man, it's been so bitterly cold. And uh, that's the thing that gets me. It's like, I'd rather have the snow, you know, sometimes. No, I hear you. I hear you. Oh, well. No, we're we're kind of on the end. I mean, before we know it, the ski slopes are going to be closing up and we'll get that mid-fake spring and then... Yeah, major that, snowstorm that <laughs> teaser. spring again <laughs> right <laughs> yeah so don't dust off your hot rods just yet maybe i guess you can get it out for the weekend and, and uh you know enjoy your your stuff because uh i hear rumors that cruise above the clouds is coming back this year so that's gonna be something to look forward to that is so awesome absolutely i'm looking forward to it yeah time to get back on track there taylor candy Yes, we will. (laughs) 
All right, Michelle. Well, rest up a little bit. I know that uh, Ice Festival took a kind of takes the wind out of your sails after a couple of weeks of just uh, being around 10,000 of your closest friends. Yeah, yeah. I need to get away from people for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you. Anyway, can't wait to see what happens next week in uh, Women's History Month. Sounds good. All right, Michelle. Well, rest up, like I said, and uh, we'll talk to you again very soon. Sounds good. Take care. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye. That was my producing partner, Michelle Roselle, calling us from Cripple Creek with an awesome story to lead us into Women's History Month. But up next on the Bear Cave Hotline is the big news with our field producer, Trevor Phipps. Trevor, what's happening this week? Been a few things going on, but it's been quiet for the most part. Well, yeah, probably up here. I mean, national news is kind of uh, taking a weird, and there's a lot of weird stuff going on right now. We talked a little bit about it, you know, with uh, Rupert Murdoch and Fox News, and yeah, everybody's getting sued and they're all throwing stuff at each other. But uh, speaking of lawsuits, the sheriff came out on top on a very big one. I think that's what you're going to talk about this week. Yeah, that's probably the biggest story that's going on right now. Um, last week it was uh, District Judge Scott. Sells released his decision on the sheriff's lawsuit with the ACLU, and he basically sided with the sheriff in anything. I read through the whole his whole decision. It was like a twenty six page decision that he came up with, and he was very thorough. He definitely did his due diligence and looked at every single side and broke down every single claim that was made by both sides and all the witnesses. And in the end, he pretty much decided that the sheriff, there's a number of things that he officially declared, but he declared that the sheriff had the right to enter the agreement. He declared that while the deputies are in the agreement, that they're actually not under the county or under the sheriff's rule at all. They're actually working for the federal government as de facto immigration officers when they're doing any of the procedures that they do through the 287G agreement. Remember, we kind of kicked that around a few weeks ago when this first came up and we said, hey, wait a minute, aren't they technically federal officers? And we, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about, but uh, just logic and reason kind of uh, kind of came out on top. He ruled that they were, and then he ruled that it is not against Colorado state law to have such partnership and that the sheriff, everything he's doing is legal. And and then the other one that the sheriff was kind of saying was a, was a big deal that has never been done, but... One of the claims in the lawsuit with the ACLU was that the a police department or sheriff's office could not hold somebody based on a INS or based on an immigration hold from ICE because immigration is civil. They were claiming that when the ICE, and I think it's I-200, when they fill out that form, it's a warrant, but it's under civil immigration law. So basically, the sheriff who enforces criminal law couldn't hold somebody based on an ICE hold because the ICE hold is a civil immigration case. The judge basically ruled that that is not the case, that and Form I-200 is actually a legal federal warrant for a crime, and it does not have to be signed by a judge. So that was one of the claims that the ACLU had made, but the judge said, no, that is not the case. And according to the sheriff, it, it's the first time that that has ever come up in, a, in the court of law, I think anywhere in the country. He's the first judge to actually declare, no, this is not civil. This is actually a legal federal warrant that can be executed by law enforcement and does not have to be signed by a judge. So it, he's setting a precedent 
which one of the first times ever. Well, it makes sense when you think about it. So it's like, okay, so somebody illegally infiltrates into the United States and then all of a sudden that becomes civil. Well, you you know, the one thing that I'm kind of noticing here is that the ACLU and the woke and everybody else, they use these little tiny legal loopholes and they they keep probing to see if there's there's any way to go with this. And uh, I have to agree with the judge. It's like, how do you just turn a blind eye to someone who is illegally infiltrated into our country? And then just, uh, you know, decides that he's going to use the system to protect him. It, it makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah, I have to agree with the judge on this one. I mean, I, it's just, uh, it's amazing to me that this lawsuit was even brought on in the first place. Uh, it's just frivolous and, and worthless as far as I'm concerned. I'm glad the sheriff came on top. But uh, anyway, I'll let you break it down some more. Yeah, well, um, so the judge ruled in the sheriff's favor for now. But one of the first things that the ACLU said is that they're going to bring it to the Colorado Appeals Court, which they've already done. It already went to Jed Sells. He tried to throw out the lawsuit. They brought it to appeals. So the appeals ruled to send it back to district court. So that's going to happen. But the other side of this is that this new immigration law that's going through the state lawmakers right now. In fact, it's passed, then basically they're probably in the lawsuit because that would make what the sheriff's doing with that agreement illegal by state law. And so the county commissioners and the sheriff are have been spending a lot of time in Denver trying to fight that bill every step of the way. Um, I talked to Dan Williams last week, and he said that they were able to convince CCI, I think it was, which is like a, I guess it's like a coalition of a bunch of different counties, but they got CCI, which represents 62 out of 64 counties. They got them to agree with the sheriffs and the county commissioners to vote no on things. So they've, they considered it a small victory. So that might give them more help that they need to fight it when they go to fight it at the state level. Again, it's uh, the anti-Teller County you know, immigration bill, whatever you want to call it. It's, it's uh, specifically aimed at our county. There's no question in anybody's mind about it. They'll try to sugarcoat it and say, no, it's not. And it's just fair and equitable for everybody else. As we watch the crime go through the roof, and it's not just because of illegal immigrants or wherever you want to call them. It's because we're making stupid laws. And uh, I kind of dug into that whole, you know, 600 bills that are going on right now. And, and you're right. There is so much wasted pork and fat and stupid material. I think they're just passing laws just to see if they can pass laws. It's like, hey, this session we passed 600 plus laws. That's all that's happening right now. They're they're worthless. So everybody out there, I urge them to do this. If you go and you search on Google and you search bills in Colorado legislature right now, you can actually get to where on the, the state website, every single one of those bills is listed in numerical order. So you can actually go through and look at the progress on every single one of them. And, you know, given there's 600 of them. So I personally haven't read through every single one, but I urge everybody to do that to just see, because we can sit here and say 600 all the time, but we actually go online and try to just read 600 titles. It's going to take you about a half hour just to read the titles of the 600 bills that are in the legislature right now. Like it's just, Longer than that, because what they did is they also break it down into uh, most looked at laws and it has categories that you can actually go on to. And it's and you're right. It's it's very easy. You just go on there and you can start reading about the laws and who passed them. And, and uh, you know, most of them are, are definitely follow along party lines. 
But uh, anyway, getting back to this whole uh, this whole ice thing. So, what is the sheriff's next play besides going up to the uh, the state and trying to get business done? I guess with the lawsuit, the lawsuit is currently thrown out. So they're just awaiting upon if the ACLU does appeal. They said they were going to, but whether they will or not is up in the air. I think maybe they won't move towards that until. They see what's happening with this new law because if this law gets passed, then it's the ACLU won't need to continue the loss. Yeah, it's just a waste of money. Yeah, but yeah, so maybe they're holding off the sea. So that's kind of the next step is you know, what happens with this anti-Teller bill. Yeah, make Teller Denver again. I wonder if we can fit all that on a hat somewhere. Yeah. Oh man, it's just uh, it's it is so frustrating because it's obvious that the things that the sheriff and the that uh, law enforcement, at least in Teller County, are doing are working for the most part, right? Uh, now I haven't seen a crime report. I don't know if the crime's gone down or gone up, but uh, you know, it's like for example, we're the number one stolen car capital of the entire United States. So what do they do? They're going to go back to that bill again now because they hate the publicity of their woke ideas because they've all backfired like like we know they're going to. So now we're going to take that one little section of stolen cars, you know, grand theft auto thing and apply it equally. So if your car is worth $700 and it gets stolen and that's your only means of travel to get to work, there's not going to be a difference whether that car is stolen or whether a Cadillac Escalade is stolen. I never could see the logic to begin with in the first place, but, uh, Hey, that's our uh, Colorado legislature at work. Yeah, it's kind of ridiculous. They're trying to pass a law on every little tiny thing. For example, one of the laws I just was recently working on for an article was they're trying to make it a law to where in roundabouts, a smaller vehicle has to pass to yield legally to a larger vehicle. I mean, so you picture this, you're going through a roundabout and a big truck, most trucks take up more than one lane. So what they're saying is that since a truck going through a roundabout can't just stay in their own lane, if you're in a different lane, then you got to give them both lane to go. Uh, Which, <laughs> even so, I talked to Representative Andrew Bosnecker. Hang, hang on. Oh, oh, you brought that name up again. <laughs> hang on just a second, though. Now, okay, I'm a Dennis Joe Schmo driving in a roundabout, and I see a semi about ready to overtake me. Uh, I think logic and reason would probably say that, yeah, I'm going to yield to the bigger car. So now we have to make a law to make you think. And of course it comes from Bosnecker. Oh, but, no, uh, no, I disagree, Dennis. I'm going to punch it and try to make, see if I can get around that truck. <laughs> you know, make sure I don't hit the curb at the same time. Like, no, this is my roundabout. <laughs> oh, you're a rebel. But, you know, that's just me. So, so well, I think most people would probably just back <laughs> off since there's no lane to get around. But. So anyway, you talked to our buddy Bosnecker, who we shredded a few weeks ago because he's the, uh, the, the anti-gun guy. So, man. I, I'm surprised that you actually got to talk to that guy. Yeah, he was he was a little late getting to me because I guess that day they had a bunch of evacuations at the state capitol and said everything was fine, but we didn't really go into details. But he's one of the sponsors of the bill. He's the only sponsor of the bill that responded <laughs> to any of my requests for information. And I asked him, you know, where it came about. And he said that it was the Colorado Motor Carriers Association. Pretty much oh, here told we go. It said that they were they were concerned and that driving through these roundabouts since there's a lot more coming in the state that it was hard for truckers to maneuver. So they had asked that you pass this through legislation. So the way he saw it was as a proactive step as a law to make sure that you know there's no future 
problems with this, and it's something that gets addressed, but he did admit that it's kind of common sense. He said, and I quote, I would hope common sense would prevail, but if we can pass this law to prevent, you know, roundabouts from having to close or from injuries or worse taking place, then it's worth happening. And that being said, too, this bill has already made it through the committee in the House, got passed by the House, made it through Senate committee, so it's already to the Senate full. Of course, so it it's did. it's not really getting argued with. Nobody's really fighting against it. But the one thing when I thought I would try to come up with cons against the bill is like, you know, if there's no evidence, which I asked him, you know, where's the evidence where this has been a big deal? How many deaths? How many accidents have there been regarding big vehicles and small vehicles in roundabouts? Has it got worse over the last few years? Is it because there's more roundabouts that are coming up now? And None of those questions were really answered. Go figure. Like, when is it going to stop? Well, so much for uh, defund the police and uh, let's send some, hey, I got an idea. Let's put some social workers out there with uh, reflective vests on those (laughs) roundabouts to make sure that uh, everybody abides by the law. But, uh, you know, I have a better idea for roundabouts. How about leave them in Europe? (laughs) You know, because they're, they're pretty much worthless. As far as I'm concerned, I mean, just put a four-way stop there and problem solved. But, oh my God, it just never ends. Yeah, the only thing that bothers me with it is that there's nobody questioning why do we need this law if there's no evidence saying that this is an issue. Like, I want to see that there's there's an increase of 10 more accidents involving trucks and roundabouts in 2020 than there has been the 10 years prior. I want to see some sort of stats saying that this isn't, is even an issue. How is this law helping? It's still saying it's zero. I'll tell you why. Because the truckers union got involved and, you know, we need some recognition because we haven't done anything. That's that's what it's all about. You get one of the unions involved and it's like, hey, we need to make, you know, our truckers are worried. Come on, give me a break. <laughs> it's all just stupid. It's the unions that are that dumb and that they're yeah. the ones who are promoting all this crap. But, uh, oh man, my head's going to explode. I just brought it up as an example of the types of laws that are coming out. Like, it's not like when people think, oh good, there's 600 new bills, you know, the Legislators are really trying to do things to help. They're kind of just trying to impose control everywhere they see fit, in my mind. Yeah, they're just passing laws to pass laws to say that they made a bunch of laws. Yeah, that's what they're doing. All right, so as we leave worthless laws and roundabouts behind us, what's happening in local sports? Well, we're kind of at that awkward in-between moment where winter sports have pretty much wrapped up. There's still a couple, we'll talk about that here in a second, there's still a couple that are still finishing the seasons up, but for the most part, winter sports are done and we're waiting for spring sports to start. April is when they really get into full swing spring sports. So boys and girls basketball, they're still playing in the district tournaments at the moment. The girls, they started their playoff play on Monday, February 20th. So I guess they're still in the runnings for the state championship, even though they have lost in playoff games. I'm not exactly sure how that works, but I know it's a big bracket. They just changed a couple years ago how they did basketball playoffs at the school level. How about the boys? So the boys, they played their first playoff game against Colorado Springs Christian School, and they lost 45-32. to 32. Um, That was Tuesday, February 21st. And then on Friday, February 24th, they played Florence, and they won 57-40. to 40. Um, They played another playoff, neutral playoff game, again, Banning Lewis Academy on Saturday, February 25th. They won that game 50-42. to 42. Nice. 
if it's the state tournaments, which is what Max Prep is telling me right now, then it's usually they'll play at one location. So for the most part, there will usually be one neutral site. So, well, good luck to the boys and girls. It looks like they still have a chance. I agree. I thought that they, if they lost in the playoffs, I thought they were eliminated, but that's not the case. So it shows how much I know about playoffs work. Well, if you knew that, then you would know what the uh, purpose of the legislature is this year, too. So uh, <laughs> yeah, it's all a big mystery. You can never know everything, I've decided. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I agree. Well, maybe it's safer that way. Who knows? All right. Well, in the meantime, Trevor, you have yourself an awesome week, and we'll get together real soon. All right. You have a good day. Bye now. That was our field producer, Trevor Phipps, coming in with the big news. And when we come back, it's more news, but it's news of the weird, and find out who gets tossed in the bear pile this week. We'll be right back. Are you having a hard time seeing out of those dirty Colorado windows? Or maybe it's just time to finally clean those sidewalks, garages, and those stains on services around your home and office. Well, now there's a solution and it's Peak Washing LLC. Veteran owned and operated, Peak Washing LLC is your mobile window cleaning and pressure washing solution. Their services range from residential jobs to commercial projects using a safe and environmentally friendly approach. Peak Washing LLC can also clean and sanitize heavy construction equipment. There's virtually no job that Peak Washing can't handle. So call Greg at 719-651-7518 or find them on their Facebook page under Peak Washing LLC. That's Peak Washing LLC, your solution to that dirty job. the bear cave i'm your host dennis zerl and once again it is time for news of the weird headline this week reads bright ideas yep you're gonna like this one austin briscoe 26 of bloomington indiana was sick and tired of people breaking into his 1998 buick and stealing stuff yeah i, I get sick of that too well, on February 12th, when police responded to a car fire, they found Briscoe just standing next to his burning vehicle, and he told them that he set the fire to stop the thefts. What? Hmm, okay, I guess there's some logic in here somewhere. I'm not seeing it, but in his mind, I guess there is. He said, if there's nothing left of the vehicle, then there would be nothing left for them to steal. Okay, that's uh, Bristow's logic, and that's how it went. Well, as it burned, the fire caused a small explosion, and Bristol commented, I had hoped that the explosion would be bigger. After arresting him for arson, they searched him, finding several packeted syringes and benzodiazepine. <laughs> Boy, this guy should run for state legislature of Colorado. He could fit right in with that kind of logic. Oh boy, takes all kinds. It never ceases to amaze me. But that just makes him a candidate for the bear pile. 
Each week, we nominate a person, place, and or thing who should be tossed on the bear pile and eaten by the bears. <laughs> this week, the person, place, and or thing to be tossed on the bear pile and eaten by the bears is... From last week, the Tulsa, Oklahoma Starbucks for giving themselves thousands of dollars in tips because they spelled the name correctly on a paper cup, I guess. And like I said, if I was the Odells, I would ask for cash that they owed me and coffee for life for free. Yep, shouldn't have to pay for that garbage. The nominations this week for honors of swan diving onto the bear pile are number one, Fox News and Rupee Murdoch for continuing to tell lies about election fraud all in the name of Mr. Benjamin. Oh, uh, yeah, Crazy Mike, Fox wants to thank you for all those pillows and those slippers that you sent. Yep, keep that money coming in there, Crazy Mike. Number two, Fat Bastard Steven Seagal for upping his commie game, giving Vlad the Impaler a tongue bath in order to get his friendship plaque. Or maybe Vlad gave him a ring. Uh, who knows? And coming in at number three, Brain Trust Austin Bristow. Yep, you knew it. Or lighting his 1998 Buick on fire to prevent thefts. You know, there, Austin, maybe in between injecting what was ever in those syringes and eating all that benzodiazepine, you maybe could have just, uh, I don't know, bought an alarm system of some kind? Or maybe just moved the car somewhere else. Ugh. Well, that's all I got this week. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Abode Real Estate, The Butte Theater, and Peak Washing LLC for joining us again this week. I want to thank my guest, Michael Lindsay from the Gold Camp Association. I really appreciate you coming all the way to join us this week. And we wish them well in all of their upcoming projects to make our communities just a little bit better. And of course, to my producing partner, Michelle Roselle, for saving me and bringing a story time this week. And what a story it was. Thanks, as always, to our field producer, Trevor Phipps, for bringing us the big news and for making some of our esteemed lawmakers squirm just a little bit. I love it. If you have an event coming up or you want to sponsor the show, you can reach out to us on our Facebook page, This Week in the Bear Cave, or our Instagram page by the same name. And this week, you can send your hate mail and your questions to Tammy to thisweekinthebearcave at gmail.com. You can now access the show on Spotify, Anchor by Spotify, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, RadioPublic.com, or wherever you get your podcast. Or, like I said before, you can just go to the Facebook page and follow the link if you prefer. Our celebrity guest next week is going to be Rupert Rupi Murdoch. Hey, Rupi, we heard that uh, Mike the Pillow Guy is selling mattresses to the Russians. Any truth to that? Mm, eh, maybe it's just air mattresses. I'm guessing we'll hear all about it uh, at 10 o'clock once the script is written. Bernie Sanders was supposed to join us in the bear cave, but he couldn't come up with enough cab fare for his Prius drivers. And uh, his alternate transportation didn't come through either because all the balloons are grounded for some reason. Uh, I don't know why. Oh, well, guess you'll just have to sell some more tickets for that capitalist book tour, Bernie. You know, like a good little socialist. Until next week, be well and thanks for listening. Sweet dreams, Sam and Max. This Week in the Bear Cave is produced by Animus Productions, all rights reserved in perpetuity.